Hello, uh, I'm Hunter, this is Laura, and we are going to be working with NTW South Africa. We are on the way to South Africa. And as Pastor said, I grew up in this church. Uh, Ginger and Donnie Horton are my parents. Uh, and that's Alistair, the little blonde-haired kid in the back. He's uh, about to turn 16 months. And he's already visited South Africa. So he's a world traveler already. Uh, so, But before we tell you what we're going to do, we're going to briefly share our story. So I grew up... In, in this church, this is where I really began to learn about Reformed theology, about the Presbyterian tradition. Uh, I came from an Arminian background, and I thought that uh, during that time that I uh, had to make God like me. But it is only when uh, my mom started reading the works of a little-known theologian named R.C. Sproul that I came to realize that uh, I don't have to make God love me. He did what was necessary so that I could be his child, uh, and that Christ's work on the cross was uh, perfect for all time. And so came here, uh, grew up in this church, wasn't interested in missions. Uh, it was only in college at Oklahoma State that the Lord began to work in my heart and change my heart. I went and studied abroad in Costa Rica and saw the lack of Reformed churches there, the lack of Presbyterian churches. And uh, God began to move me toward uh, pursuing vocational ministry full-time. And I did that for two years in, in Dallas, Texas, for a ministry called RUF International, working with international students. And then uh, we went to, my wife and I went to seminary, and whoops, uh, I, my, wi my wife and I went to seminary and uh, got involved with a church there, and they affirmed our call to missions, and they started sending us all over the world to different missionaries that they supported. But then the Lord brought South Africa into our life, and I'll let Laura tell a little bit about that. Okay, so I grew up in a, in a Christian household as well. I was very blessed. Um, and from a young age, I read missionary biographies like Amy Carmichael, Taylor Hudson, Hudson Taylor. Um, and God began working in my heart as a, at a young age, growing my heart for the world. Um, but first, he had to change my heart for my self-righteousness um, I was, I was thinking that I could do it all by myself and I can't. Um, so when I was about 11 years old, that's really when God started working in my heart and showing me that I can't do it on my own. He provided a way through Jesus. And it's then that I realized that's the message I want to tell people, um, that Jesus has provided a way for them and they don't have to try to work on their own behalf to get to God. Um, so, how did we end up going to South Africa? It was through prayer. <laughs> um, like I said, I, w I wanted to do mission work long before I even met Hunter. And um, Africa had always been on my heart. But when Hunter and I married, um, I really wanted 
to be together on wherever we go. So when our church asked Hunter to go to South Africa, to lead a trip to South Africa, um, I started praying. And I, my prayer was, the whole time that he was gone, Lord, if this is where we're supposed to go, open his heart. And if it's not where we're supposed to go, close my heart. Um, and then Hunter came back and he said, Laura, I think this is going to kind of come out of left field, but we we should start praying about South Africa. And I was like, I am one step ahead of you. <laughs> um, so since then, we've been talking with the team down there. God has just opened door after door. And at times we've kind of felt like he's pushed us through those doors, um, opening up the way for us to go there. Um, before we tell you more about the team in South Africa and what we're going to be doing there, it's important to know about South Africa. Okay, so this is a picture of what's called a South Africa township. And this is specific to the city of Cape Town. And in South Africa, there's a saying. And people say, this is Africa. And I'm going to give you some examples of when you might say that. Uh, if you are planning a ministry event, and it's the kickoff event of the year, and then the power goes out for eight hours straight, you would say, ugh, this is Africa. If you were to stop by the grocery store on the way home to pick up some food, and you ran in, you parked your car, and you came out, and your car was gone because someone had taken it, you'd say, ugh, this is Africa. If you were to be stopped by a train that was just in the road for hours on end, you would say, this is Africa. If you were to go on a walk and your neighbor said, hey, be careful, uh, someone's throwing poisoned meat over the fences to kill guard dogs, you'd say, ah, this is Africa. So Af South Africa is a place with a lot of difficulties, a lot of problems, but God loves Africa and is doing amazing things in Africa. While we were there in November, we had the chance to sit down with a pastor um, from a township, much like this one, Gugaletu, and um, we sat in his living room, and his house was right next to a witch doctor's school, so people were walking into that hut next door to us, um, and he, he sat us down, and he said, I want to share with you the spiritual state of my country. And uh, he said, most Westerners think of Africa as Christian, or that it's growing in Christianity. But there's a very different type of Christianity that's actually going on in the country. There are about 2 million people who uh, are living in these townships in Cape Town specifically. And he said, out of those 2 million people, 500 maximum attend a Bible-believing church. The rest, who consider themselves Christians, um, attend huge health and wealth prosperity gospel churches, as well as uh, pastors who consider themselves super apostles and 
go visit the witch doctor next door to his house and take potions to help increase their church members, the church numbers in their church. They also tell their church congregants to go back to their ancestral homelands and make sacrifices to their ancestors and to Jesus because they preach that Jesus is the ultimate ancestor. So there's a lot of syncretism, a lot of heresy mixed in with what people consider themselves Christians. Um, So there's a lot of work to be done in Cape Town and in South Africa. And and, uh, Pastor Walter looked at us and said, we need you. The gospel work is very needed here and we can't wait for you to come, Um, which was very encouraging. But one of the difficult parts of ministry in South Africa is the legacy of apartheid. So if you don't know what apartheid was, it was the enforced white minority rule over the entire country. And black South Africans were not allowed to own land. They were not allowed to vote. And they were not allowed to even get jobs without government work permits. And they all were forced to leave their homes at the barrel of a gun and move into these slums in the city. And these slums are called townships. And about two million people live in the townships of Cape Town alone. And uh, uh, apartheid ended when uh, the government released Nelson Mandela from prison and he set up a you know, in conjunction with the former ruling authorities, he set up uh, a democratic nation. And so apartheid is over, but there is a tremendous legacy of fear and uh, hatred within the townships. And so it's very difficult for Christians to go in and do ministry there if you look like us. So uh, in another difficult aspect of this is that the community reinforces the Christian syncretism that we just talked about, reinforced sacrifices to the ancestors and uh, the, the system of super apostles. And the young ones grow up believing that, and they don't know any different. And then the witch doctors police it. They make sure that everybody follows the rules. But there's an opportunity here. Uh, there's an opportunity at the university. So since apartheid ended, the, the youth of South Africa have been allowed to go to university to study. And the townships and communities want them to go to university to study, to bring back their knowledge into the community. So the townships pool their resources and send their best and brightest to go study at the university. So this right here is the University of Cape Town and it's where we're going. The University of Cape Town is the Harvard of South Africa and of the entire continent. So not only do do the townships and the communities in South Africa send their best and brightest there, the rest of Africa sends their best and brightest to go study at UCT so that their future politicians, chieftains, engineers, scientists can get the best education that there is. And so then students from the townships and from all over Africa come to the university 
and they're forced to mix with other cultures, other people who don't believe the same thing. And if you've grown up in a township, it's an unbelievable experience and it rocks your world. And so those students are very open to discussing spiritual matters. They want to discuss Christianity and what's in the Bible, and they want to learn and grow. It is the perfect place to evangelize in South Africa because through them you can then get to the townships. Uh, so I've got I, – I went there in 2019, and I met a student, and – uh, I will call him Ekule. And Ekule was a student from rural South Africa, grew up praying to his ancestors, following the orders of the witch, witch doctor. But he came to the University of Cape Town to study computer science. And while there, he came in contact with the campus ministry that we're going to be joining and working with, and he became a believer and just was on fire for Jesus. But as I was talking with him, this was in the middle of the school year, and he'd been converted that year, he told me that he was nervous to go back to his family in the rural area. And I said, why? I, I would expect you to be excited to see family again. He said, oh, I'm excited to see family again, but uh, I'm not safe there. Jesus is only powerful in the city. But in the country, the witch doctor has power, and he might put a curse on me. And I was like, oh, well, let's, let's talk about that. And so then we uh, talked about how Jesus is the creator. He is God, and therefore no power can beat him. He is powerful in the city and in the country. And not only that, but Ekule has the Holy Spirit. So the witch doctor has no power over him. And he's like, wow, that's, that's amazing. I've, I didn't know that. And it was really exciting. And I could then take him to a South African pastor. I said, hey, uh, Ekule is a new believer, and he wants to learn the Bible, and I think you should get to know him. And so they established a mentor-mentee relationship right there. Uh, and that was really exciting to see. So that story encapsulates part of what we're going to be doing, which is mentoring students. And there's a real need for mentoring students. Um, a, a young lady who one of our team members came in contact with found out that she was pregnant and um, was called up our team member and said, I don't know what to do. So our team member got to walk her through the, the sacredness of life and um, all the options that she had to pursue in keeping the baby. And then a couple days later, her, she called our team member again and said, I don't know what to do again. My dad says that if I have this baby, he's going to all of the support that he's given me and I won't be able to finish college and if I don't keep the baby then I can finish my degree and our team member like prayed with her and mentored her and uh, the young girl actually ended up having an abortion so that she could finish her degree and was devastated by it but our team member gets to walk alongside her 
through that devastation and and show her the grace of God despite her dad's decision. Um, there's also a lack of strong father figures in South Africa. Um, when COVID first hit South Africa, the first decision that they decided to do, as the government decided to do, was to ban all the alcohol and cigarette sales. And your first thought is, how is that going to affect people but it actually helped because a lot of the ER space the urgent care space is filled up on the weekends when the fathers come home and they're drunk and they end up beating their wives and their children and then those children and wives go to the hospital so that can give you just a little picture of who the fathers are like and who these fathers what the students have had as fathers when they come to university. Um, so we get the chance to walk alongside these people who come from very hard situations. So we're going to work with Mission to the World in South Africa. And if you don't know what Mission to the World is, it is the... Uh, the missionary agency of this denomination and they have a specific vision for South Africa and that's a picture of Cape Town as you can see it's not beautiful at all uh, so uh, they have a vision for what they're trying to do in South Africa and they are wanting to partner with South African churches who are already there they don't want to plant their own churches. They don't want to start their own ministry. They want to come alongside South African Christians who are already engaged in gospel ministry because God's been at work in South Africa for a long time. And there is a new Presbyterian denomination that uh, only has four churches. And we are partnering with them so that, the Afri so that African-led ministry can establish reformed roots in South Africa. And part of that is by offering theological education for the township pastors who live in that area and have never had an opportunity to go study at seminary. But also, it involves church planting. And that's what this denomination and MTW wants to do, is church plant. And that denomination has identified campus ministry as the key avenue for church planting because Africa is an extremely young continent. In 2020, the median age of the continent was 20 years old. The median age of the continent was 20 years old. So there are young people everywhere, and it's the future of uh you know, of the church in many ways. And so they want to target those young people and bring them into the church. So how does this relate to us? Well, God has uniquely gifted us to fit this role. Um, it's really amazing to see how God has orchestrated our lives um, to fit exactly what the South Africa team had been praying for. Um, both Hunter and I have had a lot of experience with college ministry, being involved in RUF at Oklahoma State, and then Hunter 
doing the internship with international students down at SMU. Um, it's also our desire to open up our house to be hospitable. We loved doing that when we were in Texas, and um, it brought us great joy to be able to share meals with people from all around the world. Um, and also, we love the local church, and so we get to partner with the local pastors and the South Africans who are already in a church um, and help grow their church through what we're doing as campus ministers. So this is our team, the MTW team. Uh, in the center, that's all of them. Uh, and it's a mixture of Americans and South Africans, actually, who have studied in the United States and now work for MTW. And uh, they, had, they asked us to come when we met with them, and they thought that our experiences was what they needed on the field. And it's exciting to work with, a, you know, this team that has had so many years of experience in ministry. Specifically, the gentleman who is holding Alistair on the left and the right, and Alistair had a great time with him while we were there. Uh, this man is named Kobe McGinty, and he's been doing uh, student ministry in at the University of Cape Town for 15 years. And he loves the Lord, he loves Africa, and we get to spend time learning under him and learning what campus ministry looks like in the South African context. And he's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, and he wants to work with the South Africans who are already doing ministry, and he's been doing that for a long time. Uh, so the Lord has really blessed us in sending us to uh, a gifted team of both South Africans and Americans. So uh, as I was talking with him, he was telling me that the goal of campus ministry in Cape Town is twofold. First, it is to evangelize students who have never heard the gospel or who believe a false gospel. So evangelization first. Then second, it is to disciple college students with the hope of raising up future church leaders and future faithful church members and we've got two stories to tell related to that goal so on the right you'll see a picture of a man standing with keys in his hand his name is Rainier Rainier went to the University of Cape Town and he came in with questions about spirituality and when he met Kobe who's standing next to the car um, they started doing a Bible study together and um, was being mentored. God had changed Rainier's heart and saved him. And then through that transformative power of the scripture and studying and being mentored, um, Rainier's eyes were open to the needs in Cape Town. And he actually changed his career and decided to pursue a master's in entrepreneurship in order to start a private Christian school in one of the townships. So on the left, you'll see a picture of Trinity Christian Academy. This school serves students preschool through seventh grade, and they start their mornings with daily devotions in the, through uh, using the Jesus Storybook Bible. 
They have community fellowship events with the whole community of the township. Um, children get to take a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible back to their house, and their families get to read it at night. Um, there are parent education classes that they do on the evenings and weekends, and it's all done through a biblical worldview. So, Rainier had the catalyst of campus ministry that God used to change his heart, and it was the foundation that he was able to have to set up as a faithful church member um, this school and live out that faith in his work. Sorry, forgot to change the slide. So, uh, campus ministry raises faithful church members, or that's at least one of the goals. The second goal of campus ministry is to identify future church leaders. And when I was there in 2019, I saw the need for this. Uh, I visited a church called Longa Bible, and you'll see a picture of... That's not the church, but that is uh, a building with the township name painted on it. Uh, so Longa is a township in the suburb of Cape Town. And I went there and worshipped at this church called Longa Bible. And on the drive there, the team member was telling me about this church's experience. The pastors, there's two of them, and they both speak different African languages so they can translate for each other as they're preaching. But when they were young, they were not Christians. And one day they attended Longa Bible and became Christian. But they were the only male uh, members of the church. And so within a week, the church asked them to be pastors. They didn't know anything about the Bible. They'd just become Christians, but they tried their best. But as you know, uh, African Christianity is very syncretistic, so they were preaching all about sacrifices and health and wealth. Uh, but then they encountered the NTW team in Cape Town, and the team began to mentor them and disciple them in Scripture. They began to learn the story of the Bible and what Jesus did and how he's at the center of it all. So by the end, when I was there worshiping with them, they were preaching faithfully through Scripture, verse by verse, and they were preaching Christ at the center. They were preaching in English and one of the languages, Kosa, and the church was a thriving African-led congregation in Longa Township. It was so beautiful, but... That shows the need for educated pastors in South Africa, and there's not a lot of them. So uh, this family right here are the Macaleras, and uh, uh, Convex, he studied at Puritan Reformed Seminary in Michigan and came back because he realized that in his country of Malawi, there, there are very few educated pastors and he saw the need for educated pastors so i was talking with him and he said yeah in malawi we are also trying to set up uh campus ministries 
because we need people in our churches who can read the Bible and who have the capacity to study Greek and Hebrew to learn the Bible in the original language. So uh, we are prioritizing campus ministry so that we can identify people who might be future church leaders and who love the Lord. So this is where we fit in. We are going to be working with uh, the Presbyterian Church in South Africa. And like I said, there's only four churches, one in each major city, Cape Town, Durban, Pretoria, and Johannesburg. And they want to focus on campus ministry. So when we go there, uh, Lord willing, by the end of the year, we are going to be working with uh, Kobe, that man I told you, uh, at the University of Cape Town. And he's been working with an established ministry for the past 15 years. And it is an, uh, an Anglican, a Reformed Anglican denomination. So we're going to go work with them for two years as we learn the South African context and how to do ministry there. And then at the end of that, we're going to go to one of the Presbyterian churches uh, who want us to be there and work with them and begin a campus ministry that hasn't begun yet on a campus where there is no campus ministry. So we are extremely excited about that. Uh, and we can't wait to work with the South African church. The end goal of all of this is to eventually, Lord willing, pass off this campus ministry to South Africans. Uh, because we're not wanting to come in and do our own thing uh, and just run our own ministry. We want to start something that can then be handed off to uh a South African who's gone to seminary and knows the Bible and then can take over from there. So. The most exciting part about this is that you guys are a part of it as well. So you, Heritage, are sending us as members, of, as if we're members of your own church, to South Africa. And you get the opportunity to watch God work in ways that beforehand you wouldn't have had the opportunity to. Um, so we're excited to be connected with you all and to share how God is growing his kingdom in Cape Town um, and report back to you guys regularly. Um, we have some time for questions, and I know we've had a lot of information. <laughs> so if you have any questions, Hunter's going to answer them all. <laughs> Any questions at all? Uh, so, like from when we get there to when we hand it off to South African? Yeah, so we, uh, we are long-term missionaries. Uh, we've been accepted by MTW for the long haul. So we have committed to a four-year first term initially, and then we'll come back here for eight, nine, ten months, something like that, and then we will go back for another four years. Uh, and 
you know, after that, we will see what the Lord does. Uh, we don't anticipate leaving at this point. We feel called there for the long haul unless, you know, something drastic happens. Yeah. Yes. I have not had personal interaction with the witch doctors, uh, but our national partners have had extensive interaction with the witch doctors. Uh, I don't know what that'll look like once we get there, because uh, they tend to be in the townships, and they don't really want to interact with Westerners. So one thing that they do, however do, is the witch doctors have Western tours, so they contract with tourist organizations in Cape Town, in Johannesburg, and people who are on safaris and whatnot, they will come in on a bus to see what the witch doctor is doing. And the witch doctor will put on a sanitized version of what they do. It's very much about, you know, inner peace and harmony with nature. But they don't tell you about the children that go missing as a result of witch doctor, you know, practices and potion making. So, uh... There's a lot of propaganda involved with that. Uh, so even if we were to sign up for one of those tours, I don't know. You know, we wouldn't have much relationship. Anyway. Yes. Uh, so do I see a lot of community involvement in the churches there? Uh, I'm. Do you mean like the church reaching out to the community? Yes, yeah, there's... Uh, with a place like South Africa where there's so much material need... Uh, the church is pretty central in that, especially in the townships. There's a lot of mercy ministry and uh, whatnot going on. And even within the, you know, the syncret uh, syncretistic churches, the church sits at the heart of the community there. Uh, now, what that will look like for our Presbyterian partners, I, I don't know yet. Uh, I know that there is significant community involvement in the re the direct area they are in uh but how much they are impacting the township i don't know yet that's something we will have to learn once we get there it's a good question Yes, uh, that's a great question. Does being American have its benefits? Uh, and the answer is yes. South Africa is incredibly complex. Uh, so of the whites who are in South Africa, there tends to be two groups of them. There's those of British descent and those of Dutch descent. And the Dutch descent... Uh, white people are known as Afrikaners, and they speak a version of Dutch. It's called Afrikaans, 
and they were central in setting up apartheid. Uh, and they made everybody learn Afrikaans, uh, and it was brutal. So as a result, uh, there's a lot of hatred toward Afrikaners, uh, yeah, from black South Africans. And uh, then there's a lot of hatred from the Afrikaner perspective towards the British, because the the British came in and conquered the Afrikaner republics back in the early 1900s during the Anglo-Boer War. And uh, uh, there's a lot of patriotism and pride. And the British set up the world's first concentration camps for the Afrikaners. Uh, you know, they weren't like Hitler, but they were uh, prison camps that were awful and many, many people died as a result of unsanitary conditions. So there's a lot of hatred towards the British for what they did during the Anglo-Boer War. Uh, and the, the black South Africans also suspect the British because of their colonial tendencies in worldwide empire and what they did elsewhere in the African continent. So coming back to being an American, we are detached from that. America does not have a long history of interference in South Africa. And moreover, the American government was very influential in blocking South, the South African apartheid governments from participating in the community of nations and being able to trade with everybody. Uh, they took a hard stance against the apartheid government and said, you have to end apartheid before you can participate. So, as a result, black South Africans see Americans as, uh, you know, participants in the struggle against apartheid, even though we had our own issues here. Uh, and moreover, they see America as the land of success where people can succeed in business in a free society. And that's what they want to do. So they see Americans as good models. Yeah. Good question. Any, we've got four minutes. Yes. Uh, it depends on who you ask in government, but the, the African National Congress is the ruling party currently in South Africa, and they are, they are either neutral or lean positively toward what we do. Uh, there are other political parties in South Africa who are very hostile to what we do, but they are not in power, and they don't seem to be moving towards power anytime soon. The university itself is extremely secularized. It has the same attitude toward Christianity that Harvard might have toward Christianity. So they are hostile. Yeah. Yes, sir. Good question. Uh, South Africa is the most unequal country in the world. Uh, but, like the gaps between the haves and the have-nots. Uh, and the, it's getting better for the general you know, people who live in the township. But overall, 
whereas the rest of South Africa is trending up generally with ups and downs in GDP growth and economic improvement, South Africa is trending down slightly. Yeah. And that's because there's a lot of capital flight from the country uh, in fear of nationalization. And that's, that's extremely problematic. Yes. I am, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. I'm not from Thank you. M me too. Uh I'm I'm not familiar with the St. James massacre since there've been Oh wow. Yeah, do you remember the year, like roughly? Okay. Yeah, okay. I'll have to look that up. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow, there you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. We're excited to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. 1993. Yeah, I was one. So <laughs> yeah, and that was before the apartheid even ended. Yeah. Uh, one more question? Uh, so the, the university and primary education systems are in English uh, because of the British presence there. So everybody speaks English to some degree. Some speak it very poorly. If you're a student, though, at the university, you have to pass language proficiency exams. So they will speak English. However, that being said, uh, there are 11 national languages in South Africa, and in order to bless the culture and to be able to be fully involved in the culture, we will endeavor to pick up, not endeavor, we are required to pick up a uh, one of the black South African languages, so Kosa or Zulu, they're clicking languages, that'll be difficult. And then we will, at, you know, pick up some proficiency with Afrikaans. Uh, Oh, if if we're doing a children's Sunday school, we have a whole video about that. Uh, they have four clicks. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Kosa is Osa. Yeah, anyway. 
and it is 10.17 now. Yeah, crime is significant. Uh, we will be living, we are trying to get an apartment next to the university so that students can walk to our home. Open house hospitality is a big part of African culture. So we want to be close to the university so that students don't have to travel very far and risk life and limb uh, at night. And the, the taxi system is incredibly corrupt. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be living there, uh, Lord willing. Uh, yeah, we'll see what that looks like. Uh, if we are not in an apartment, yes, we will get a dog, a guard dog. Uh, also, if you want to learn more, we've... Uh, we send out monthly newsletters. Uh, if you want to be on those newsletters, we have, uh, you know, a QR code in a place you can sign up over here. Uh, and prayer cards, if you want them. Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. Completely free. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We are at. 88% of our monthly needs. We've met all our one-time needs. Uh, we need to raise, like, yeah, less than 1500 per month. Uh, 